Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. As Pastor Zach mentioned, I have been in a series on eschatology. He too participated in that because he preached on the two resurrections. But we've looked at the rapture. We've looked at the tribulation. We've looked at the Antichrist, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, the battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment, and then today we're looking at the new heavens and the new earth. And I've entitled my message, The Place We Call Heaven. Imagine you were a NASA astronaut. You were selected for the program, and you spent years preparing for the first mission to Mars. It's a five-year mission to Mars, and after years of extensive training, the launch date finally arrives and liftoff takes place, and as you settle into your new quarters that you're going to be in for some time before you reach Mars, a fellow astronaut says to you, tell me how much you know about Mars, and you shrug your shoulders and say, actually, I haven't thought that much about it. I haven't done that much preparation. I guess I'll just discover it when I get there. Now you'd say, that wouldn't happen. No astronaut would be knowledgeable about the journey, but completely ignorant about the destination. Unfortunately, though, I think sometimes as Christians, we read and we study and we prepare and we preach and we do all that we can to be ready for our journey to heaven, but we really don't know that much about it. And there is a lot of scripture that tells us about heaven, and we're going to look at some of that here today. Immediately after the great white throne judgment that we looked at last week, which is the judgment for the lost, the judgment for those who are doomed. We've talked about the judgment seat of Christ as a judgment of dedication for believers. The great white throne judgment is a judgment of damnation for unbelievers. After the great white throne judgment, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 tells us this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I want you to look at what that verse says one more time. It says, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. And just before that, it says, and they will explode with a great noise. I want to go on record as saying, I don't believe that the Big Bang started the universe but I believe a big bang ends the universe as we know it because the Bible says there will be a great noise and everything will melt away and God will recreate. From that and from the other passages that talks about God creating a new heaven and a new earth, we all understand, I think, that the Bible teaches that when Adam sinned, that sin affected all of the earth, all of creation. The Bible says in Romans that the earth groans, waiting for the day of redemption. We long for recreation and redemption, for God to make all things new, but even the earth does as well. But that isn't the only place that sin took place, remember. Sin took place in heaven as Lucifer led a rebellion against God and sought to take his place to some degree. And so the heavens 
are tainted with sin as well. The earth is tainted, the heavens are tainted, and so that explains why God creates a new earth, but he creates all new heavens as well. Let's ponder for just a moment the idea of a new heaven and a new earth and what God has created for us to enjoy throughout eternity. Let's look back at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. It's an important note. Then I, by the way, the sea, because it's salt water, they say it keeps diseases, isn't being quite as effective as we would hope with COVID, but diseases from spreading around the world. The salt water in the ocean keeps that from taking place and pandemics being as bad as they could be. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Probably we think of that as maybe the high point in a woman's beauty. She spends a lot of time in preparation for that day. And God has been preparing the new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that's the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with men. So God is coming to dwell with men. We often think, well, I'm going to be with God. That is true. But God is coming to dwell with us in the new Jerusalem, and which is connected to the new earth. God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I'll stop reading there. Let's talk a little bit about heaven. First of all, I want you to know heaven is a literal place. Heaven is a literal place. We read these verses that talk about the description. We're going to look at some other ones in just a few moments. The description of heaven. The new heavens and the new earth are not just a colorful way of describing salvation or describing our redemption, our salvation experience. The Bible says that we become new creatures, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We become new creatures, but this is talking about a new creation that we will enter into. The Bible describes that, that we become a new creation, a new creature, because all things are become new. But that's not what Revelation is describing. We're talking about a literal place that is a new creation, the Bible tells us. The handout that you received here in your bulletin this morning compares God's original creation in the first column with the new creation. Because the first creation was corrupted by sin, by Satan tempting and getting Adam and Eve to sin, it ruined it all. And so you can see as you read down through there that there is a comparison between the new creation and the old creation. So Satan didn't get a victory over even this world. He didn't get the final victory over this world because God recreates, redeemed, we could say, the world. We will dwell in this new creation throughout eternity. And it's not just the world or just the heavens. The Bible describes a city. Matter of fact, it often describes heaven as a city. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. But now they desire, remember Hebrews is talking about the hall of faith chapter, the hall of fame for Christians chapter, and how they lived for God and kept one eye on eternity. It says in Hebrews eleven sixteen. but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
They weren't ashamed of God, and God isn't ashamed of them. And he is prepared for those who live for him and are not ashamed to be called by his name. He has prepared a city for them. Like earthly cities, the heavenly city, it's very probable that it's a place filled with buildings, that it's filled with cultural centers, athletic stadiums, musical theaters, restaurants, coffee shops, all the things that we associate with this present world. Like all cities, we'd expect to see people working, conversing, relaxing, traveling, fellowshipping. Can you imagine just the opportunity that you would have to sit under a cabana, you know, an umbrella, and start talking with Michael the archangel or Gabriel the archangel, and Elisha the prophet comes along, and and he orders a cappuccino, and he sits down and tells you his experiences. Can you imagine that? It's very, very real in the new city, the new Jerusalem. The city, we would assume, is suspended above the new earth, this new Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven. It is the dwelling place of God, the Bible tells us. It's where God dwells. It's where the throne of God is from which the river of life flows and emanates from. His throne is there. And the Bible tells us that there is a a great park, is the way I would describe it, in heaven. A great park. Like we think of Central Park. I've been to Central Park in New York City. And it's a huge park in the middle of a huge city. America's largest city is, in fact. There is a large park in this city, the New Jerusalem. And it's where the river flows, which is sourced from the throne of God. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. So he says it's a pure river, but it's a a river that has the water of life. So we would assume that we drink of this river. Most of us don't want to drink from a river. But this one is pure water, and it's the water of life. Jesus described himself as the water of life, and he invites us to come and drink of him. It's a picture, it's symbolism of imbibing and taking in Christ. But in heaven, we will do that. Maybe it's necessary for us to live forever even. It goes on to say, clear as crystal. So the water, you can see all the way to the bottom of the river. Clear as crystal, proceeding what? From the throne of God and from the Lamb. So it appears that there's maybe even two thrones. The throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, so this river of life flows down through the main street of heaven. Through the main street of the New Jerusalem, in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Some translations translate that trees of life. Uh, As I read and studied about heaven and for this message, some commentators say that it is a grove of trees because it mentions there's 12 kinds of fruits and the leaves from these trees. So it's either a very huge tree because we're all coming and eating from this tree. So it'd have to be very huge and it brings us together. 
Or it's a grove of trees, and the river of life flows right down through the grove of trees. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree, or trees of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. There is some keeping of time in heaven. There is some kind of marking of time in the eternal state. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, this happens right after the great white throne judgment and the end of the millennial reign. Some commentators would suggest that people come into the eternal state and they need healing. Or like Adam and Eve, remember there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One they were to eat of, one they were forbidden to eat of. They were forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they ate from the tree of life. And then after they sinned, God took them out of the garden. He says, lest they keep eating from the tree of life and in their fallen sinful state live forever. Because the tree of life sustained life forever. So he took them out of the garden so they could not eat from the tree of life. Here we find the tree of life restored. We don't know if it's the same tree that was in the garden of Eden. And it was kept by God or he recreates that and it wouldn't be a problem for God to start with a new tree of life. But he, he restores the tree of life, which we would assume we eat from forever to sustain eternal life. Just like Adam and Eve had to eat from the tree of life to live forever. It's mind-blowing almost to conceive of it. The leaves are used for healing. The tree of life sustains life forever. It appears that we will travel from the new Jerusalem, which is pictured as hovering over the earth. We'll travel from the new Jerusalem to the new earth, enjoying the best of in both environments. I don't know about you. Most of us like the city for certain things that we go to, the restaurants for women, maybe the malls. I try to go to the mall once a year, buy my one present, you know, but uh, we like the city. For certain things, but we like the country for other things. So here we'd have the opportunity to be in the city, the new Jerusalem, our home is there, but to go to the earth and enjoy a perfect outdoor environment. We can say, hey, you want to go to earth for a few days or the weekend or whatever, and we can go to the new earth in all its resplendent glory as it's been recreated. But the Bible does tell us we have a city, and in the city we have a home. As Jesus described it, John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. There's a lot to trouble our heart in this life. Some of you have been troubled this week because of loss of loved ones and loss of friends. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he's saying, you, you've been taught about God. He said, I am God. You, just as you believe in God, I am God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. And he goes on to say, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself. John 14, 1 and 2. So he says he's preparing a mansion for us. Now, lest you think that there's a Biltmore Mansion, you know, or uh, the Winchester House or Versailles or something waiting for you in heaven and with this palatial grounds that are all yours and every once in a while from a few miles away you see a neighbor and you wave at him. That's not the picture of heaven, okay? The word mansion there is the Greek word monet, 
which is the idea of a room. Sorry. Matter of fact, it's used later. I prepare a place for you. It's a place. It's a room. So we would think of it like a condominium. We have our own place. We have our own home that God has prepared for us, but it's close proximity. We're dwelling together in perfect fellowship. That doesn't happen in most condominiums. You know, the people upstairs got the music too loud or, you know, they're banging on the walls or whatever. But here it's a perfect environment. We're enjoying fellowship together in close proximity without any sin. And it's just a lovely environment. All that we need is there. But that's the city and we can go into the country, the new earth as well. The Bible tells us, Revelation chapter 21, verse 16, that the city is enormous. Look at with me at that verse. It's enormous, almost beyond comprehension, this city. It says in Revelation 21, 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and, and the height is the same. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. Well, you can get that. That's a cube. A cube is something that's length and width or depth, and its height are all the same. So the New Jerusalem is a perfect cube. And we're not familiar with furlongs, but that's 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. That means that the new Jerusalem hanging over the new earth would go from the border of Canada to the border of Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the West Coast Beach. 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. That is 2 million, that is 2 million square miles. That is 40 times larger than England. That is 10 times bigger than the two biggest countries in Europe, France and Germany. 10 times bigger than Germany and France combined. And that's just the first floor, by the way. That's just the first floor. If each floor was 12 foot high, I think the average ceiling height is 10 feet. But if each floor was 12 foot high, it would be approximately 600,000 stories high. 600,000 stories high. I'd call that the ultimate high rise. I'd think twice about taking the elevator to the top. Uh, You know, that's a long ride. 600,000 stories high. Billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem. I didn't say millions. Billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person. That's just in the city. That's not on the new earth. That's just in the new Jerusalem. And we have access to the new earth, which is much larger, even if it's our size of our present globe. Why? It's 70% larger because the Bible says there is no more sea. 70% of the earth's surface is covered with sea, and there is no more sea. It's no longer needed. 
Now there are streams and rivers and we'll be able to do kayaking and canoeing and boating and all of that, but there is no more sea. So it's 70% bigger than it is right now. That's available for us to explore. And if you stop and think about it, there's a new heaven, a new capital city, the new Jerusalem, and there's a new heavens, the new universe. Very likely, we will be exploring the entire universe as well as the new city of Jerusalem and the new earth as well. So heaven is a literal place. Don't think la-la land, some kind of spiritual state. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a literal place. Second, heaven is a perfect place. Unlike this earth, the new earth will be a place of absolute perfection. In heaven, there will be no more curse, the Bible says, Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. The curse has ruined everything. It's impacted everything. The fall has changed everything from its original design, including us. Man will not be able to sin. He will not want to sin. He will not have an opportunity to even be tempted to sin in heaven. There would be nothing there that would tempt us. Revelation 21 verse 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's no sin there. It's perfect. Try to imagine the beauty of heaven. It's probably impossible because we've never seen it. Try to imagine the beauty of heaven. Take the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen. Here in the Colorado, we see a lot of them. Maybe you've seen them over the water, where the sun just goes down over the water. The most beautiful sunset you've ever seen on a beach or in the mountains. Maybe the most brilliant star-filled night. I remember when we were in Africa and with our missionaries, the Conrups, and they took us out into the Serengeti for two days. We were walking at night. Of course, it's at the equator, so it's 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night. Exactly, every day, same way, not like here where it changes. And they took us on a walk in the night. The, the guide was taking us through kind of a little bit of the jungle, Serengeti there, and he said, look up. And we looked up. And we could see the Milky Way the way I've never seen it before. I don't know if it's because you're on the equator or you're so far from a city. But it looked like you could almost reach up and touch the stars. They just clouded the sky. I grew up in the northern part of Michigan. We used to see the northern lights, those waves. I guess they're electromagnetic of green and red and yellow in the middle of the winter. And it's the one nice thing about winter because it goes for a long time up there. We used to say, if you're from Michigan, we have nine months of winter and three months of bad sledding. And that's kind of true. But you had a long winter. You'd see the northern lights, not all the time, but every once in a while they'd come down there. So you imagine the the most beautiful sunset, the most star-filled night that captures your breath, and the most adorable baby, or if you prefer, the most adorable puppy or kitten or whatever that you've held in your arms and just moved you, or the most exquisite table setting that you've ever seen. Think of all of those things 
and when you see heaven, when you experience heaven, those will all seem like a blurry, old, worn, black and white photograph compared to the beauty of heaven. Heaven is going to be a perfect place. John's description we find here, look with me in John, in Revelation 21, verses 18, 19, and 20, 21. I, I can't read it all, but I'll jump around here. John's description of the walls and the gates, which were made of jasper. The walls are made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The kind of thing that women wear in rings or in necklaces, that's the walls in heaven. Skip to verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. The, 12, the great streets of the city was of pure gold as of transparent glass. So John describes the city as it's descending to hover above the earth. And it's like a great giant stained glass city. As it emanates from the light because the Bible tells us there's no sun or moon there. Because the sun, Jesus Christ, is the light thereof and the temple is there and, and all the light is emanating from the throne room of God. So can you imagine seeing the colors and the prism colors as they radiate throughout the city? Just spectacular beauty. Some of the most expensive and precious materials on earth are mentioned in this passage just mentioning the, the various stones that I didn't read specifically, gold and jewels. But in heaven, what are they? They're construction material, the pavement material. Take a bag of gold to heaven, St. Peter stops you at the gate and says, what's in the bag? You can't bring anything in here. You say, well, this is, this is all gold. Peter said, bring it in. We'll pave some more streets. You know, that's really the truth. Paving material. Look at Revelation 21, verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God wipes away the tears from our eyes and puts the circle with a cross through it and says, no more crying, no more tears here. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order, the old things, the old world, the old order of things has passed away. We all know about tears. We've all wept over the loss of loved ones and friends and things even. Not in heaven. No more weeping, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, the Bible says. In heaven, the burdens and tragedies of life will be lifted. We will be free from what displeases God and what damages relationships here. There will be no orphans in heaven. There will be no homeless in heaven. There will be no rape, no murder, no muggings, no crimes of any kind, no worries, no depression, no economic downturns, no unemployment, no wars, no anguish over our past failures. There will be nothing to eclipse the joy that we enter into and enjoy forever in heaven. It's hard to believe. It's hard to grasp. We take it by faith. You know, many people, 
maybe myself included. Many people think although heaven may be peaceful and it may be beautiful, well, it may get a little boring, we think, you know. Anything you do over and over and over, there's certain things I really enjoy doing. You do them over and over, and you kind of like, ah, I've done that, been there, got the T-shirt. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore. As we've experienced little tastes of God's pleasure in this life, in the next life, in heaven, there will be pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, unending forever. They will never run out. We will never get tired. It is entirely possible that every pleasure and every activity on the old earth will be in the new earth and the new heavens, but without the curse of sin. Every pleasure, every joy, every delight will be there, but without the taint of sin. Can you imagine climbing the highest mountains that are on the new earth? Or swimming from beginning to end of those crystal clear rivers? Or biking or hiking the paths that are just filled with spectacular scenery and you don't get winded? Matter of fact, you don't even break a sweat. There's probably no sweating in heaven. That's part of the curse, maybe. Without even breaking a sweat. Hmm. I can't imagine. The most beautiful trails, the most beautiful mountaintops. We know that there is music in heaven. The Bible talks about that. There is music in heaven, so maybe all of us will be singing in heaven. Maybe we'll all learn to play all the instruments in heaven. That would be neat. Singing and and music in heaven. We may learn to sing and play as well as paint or build or garden or cook. We could very well spend a million years learning about botany, biology, zoology, astronomy, theology, and every other field of study. We'll be learning in heaven. One of the delights of life is learning new things. We'll be learning in heaven. We can't quite imagine it, but no one who gets to heaven will ever be disappointed in what they find there. You're not going to say after a million years, yeah, it's not how it's cracked up to be. You're not going to say that. You're going to say, well, this is getting a little old. Yeah, I'd like to try something new. You're not going to say that in heaven. There's going to be one thrill of knowing God, worshiping God. He knows how he created us. He created us to enjoy things and to enjoy a sunset or a picture of the smile on a baby's face or to be thrilled by a roller coaster ride or a jet rocket ride or whatever it is. He's designed us that way. That will be experienced to its fullest extent in heaven. The very things that he's created us to enjoy. Heaven is a literal place. Heaven is a perfect place. Let me end with heaven is an exclusive place. We've briefly described what a desirable place heaven is, but the Bible is clear that not every person on earth is going there. Not everybody that's been born is going to heaven. We know that. It's a small percentage. You may have visited Buckingham Palace. You may have visited the White House. 
You may have visited Versailles where Louis XIV, the king of France, bankrupt the nation building. I've had the pleasure of visiting all of those places. They're all spectacular beyond almost human description. You've visited maybe some of those places, but that doesn't entitle you to live there. Those are exclusive residences which have strict security protocols, which allow certain people to come in and certain people to live there, and it has protocols and security that keep certain people out. That's understandable. If earthly residences have such expectation, why would anyone think an eternal heavenly residence would not have clear requirements for admittance? Of course it does. God's made that very clear to us. Of course it does. You know, you can't board a flight to some far-off destination or get a villa, an exclusive exotic resort, or even get a meal in a Michelin five-star rated restaurant without a reservation. You can't do any of those things without a reservation. Why would anyone think that God is just going to allow them to come to heaven and they don't have a reservation? That's ridiculous. And it's contrary to what the Bible teaches. You have to have a reservation. The Bible tells us that God offers salvation to all but they must respond. Look again at Revelation 21, verse 6, the last part. In verse 7, it says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. That's salvation. We know that. I will give salvation, the water of life, freely to him who thirsts. You're longing for salvation. You're longing for eternal life. God says, I've got it. Come to me. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, my child. So God says, I offer salvation. You want to become my child? You want to live in my house? I offer you this invitation. Just come to me. Ask me to save you, and I'll save you, is what God is saying. God describes salvation as the water of life in this verse. We all understand water is necessary to sustain life, particularly human life, but all life. And the water of life flows from God's throne. He's mentioned that. It's a picture that he is the source of eternal life, and it continues to flow throughout eternity from his throne there in heaven. And notice, look at verse 17 of chapter 22. Notice the urgency of his invitation. He's saying to anyone who's listening to my voice today, hurry up, come. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, the spirit of God and the bride, those of us who are saved, the bride of Christ, the church, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Those of us who are saved say to others who are not saved, come, come to the source of life. And the Spirit is beckoning and wooing and convicting. And the Spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. And let him who hears, come. God says, if, if you've got any sense and you're listening to the Spirit speak to you and you're listening to the Word of God, you come, is what he says. And let him who thirsts, come. How many times does he have to say, come? 
Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. So get this. Heaven, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heavens. God has designed it. He has planned it in an exquisite way. And Jesus says, I'm going and preparing it for you. But you have to come to him for eternal life. Hopefully today you've learned a little bit more about heaven. I hope that you're headed there. I hope that you're headed in that direction. But if you are not absolutely certain about your future in heaven, do what the Bible says. Admit to God that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. Admit to God that you're willing to turn from your sin and accept the atonement that he made on the cross for your sin, to pay for your sins. He already paid for it. He just wants you to accept it. Ask Christ to be your Savior and then use the rest of your life getting ready for heaven. Would you? Let's pray together. Father, eye has not seen, nor has our mind or heart entered into what you have prepared for those who love you. We, we can only barely try to describe using the Word of God and our sanctified imagination to describe this place called heaven. We desire to be there. And frankly, as we lose loved ones, the pull for heaven becomes a little bit stronger every time. And so we long to be with you because heaven is heaven because you're there, not just because the streets are gold or the things we learn or the things we experience, because we're with you, our Savior. So, Lord, help us as we ponder heaven, as we get closer to it, to throw off anything that would slow us down, any weights and sin that so easily beset us, as Hebrew says. And let us run our race, running for heaven, longing for it, looking for it. Lord, if there's someone here today or listening uh, via audio or video that doesn't know you as Savior, may today be the day they bow the knee and ask you to save them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you're longing for heaven. And if you don't know him as Savior, allow us to help you. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we're pastors. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It's just accepting Christ as your personal Savior. That's why he came. So if you don't know him, seek us out. If you do know him, live with heaven in mind, with heaven in view.